Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. We really, I think, have to be aware of what is the impact of the product that we're building on our communities beyond the typical metrics that we use to say that we're being successful. So for example, we talk a lot about success being financial, right? It's a profit. How are we profiting? We're all familiar with that. What I'm inviting us to do as engineering leaders across our industry is to shift the currency of success and to bring in um, an entirely different currency. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. On this show, sometimes you'll hear us talk about leadership. You know, most often we talk about leadership. We also oftentimes cover a myriad of different ways to become better at your role, a more effective manager, and to navigate your career. This conversation, however, offers a little bit of a different perspective and will challenge you to think about and to question what does it mean to be a successful, productive engineer or engineering leader? This is a conversation with Tamarian Rogers. We cover what pulled Tamarian away from her traditional engineering leadership role to explore the practice of global relational healing. We also talk about how to incorporate the practices of global relational healing into things like engineering leadership and product development. We get into the healing profit and how technology can manifest healing opportunities for others. We also talk about how you can build self-awareness with your internal self-talk and explore different self-love and reflection practices. Let me introduce you to Tamarian. Prior to exploring the practice of global relational healing, Tamarian was Engineering Director of Inclusion at Snap. Beyond Snap, Tamarian's gained over 30 years of engineering leadership experience in both hardware and software at General Motors, Apple, and Microsoft. She's also served on community nonprofit and for-profit organizations, including Ada Developers Academy, NordVPN, Northwest Tech Equity Initiative, and OPTYVA, a social purpose organization with a business sustainability focus. Enjoy our conversation with Tamarian Rogers. Tamarian, just want to say welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. How are things going? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I'm delighted to be here. Excited to have our conversation. We've got a lot of things we want to dive into. It covers everything from, you know, your experience as an engineering leader, some of the stuff that you're up to now. And, and I know we're going to introduce folks in our community to some, some different perspectives and ways of thinking about things. To get us into this, we'd love to talk a little bit about your story and your transition from engineering leadership to what you're doing now. So I was wondering if you could Tell us a little bit about what you're up to and your transition from the formal engineering leadership role to the things that you're focusing on now. Um, I've spent more than 30 years in tech. I was, you know, in various leadership positions, um, had the honor of working with on some amazing products 
working with some outstanding people and uh, learning a lot about myself, learning a lot about, you know, working with others. Back in 2019, I had this epiphany while I was on safari in Botswana that I was going to move out of the U.S. into Europe or somewhere near Europe. And that to me was just ridiculous. I'm like, what? where is this thought coming from? And my friend with me at the time just smiled and said, yeah, I could see that happening. And I thought, she was just crazy. So it turned out that I put it out of my head and over time, things just started happening that create this pathway that was like, I really don't have a choice. Like this is pulling me so powerfully that I'm going in this direction. I decided that it was something that I could not not do at some point. Before taking the leap, I just stepped into um, a position at SNAP as the first inclusive engineering director. And this role was co-created by myself and Jerry Hunter, who was the VP of engineering at the time. And uh, we're really excited about creating this role to have a single threaded focus on the engineering dev life cycle and how we could systematically create inclusive products from an engineering perspective and looking at all our methodologies and processes and tools and how can we integrate inclusion into you know our day-to-day lives. And there was the other element of the culture itself and how we work together. So this was fantastic. It was a great opportunity. And about six months in, I realized that I was probably going to be leaving because the pool was becoming so magnetic. And uh, I decided to inform Jerry and the team. And we decided at that point, because I didn't have any direct reports, I was you know, running around being strategic about where we wanted to put our time. It was a good time for us to either dissolve the role or continue investing in the role. And we're really happy with some of the outcomes from what I was able to do with a lot of the others in the organization. Really, it was about the others in the organization. I'm super excited that role has continued on and, and a young man by the name of Antoine Bohannon is knocking out of the park there. But for me, I left SNAP in, in uh, 2021. I stepped into uh, nomadic living. I don't own a home. I don't, I don't have any long-term lease. I don't own any furniture. I don't own a car. I have a couple of bags, a computer bag, and I have all four seasons and I've been traveling and I've been really focused on just being present and uh, what I call redefining a productive day. And when I left, um, I really decided that there was something that was calling me to put more of my energy and focus on what I call global relational healing. And uh, it was look, really looking at what has been happening for centuries, but what was acutely happening, especially during our COVID times and across the world, the opportunity for us to heal and, and really shift the way that we coexist together. With that emphasis, how could we use technology to really help us heal in all of our relationships. So I have been spending a lot of time traveling and connecting with people, connecting with different land and observing what it looks like to be in these different spaces and experience myself in those spaces, but others in those spaces. And I couldn't be uh, more grateful on a day-to-day basis that it just almost feels like a dream. I'm looking forward to how things manifest going forward and how I can really start honing in on what global relational healing looks like and how technology can shift into this different way of building products. To focus first on the calling and how you started to first feel that pull. What was this pull and what were some of the signs that you recognized were really drawing you into this space of global relational healing and transitioning away from working at a place like Snap, uh, where you're, you're kind of integrated deeply within the engineering organization and spending more time within this space. Tell us more about some of those signs that were kind of pulling you to this thing that has become such a such an important focus for you right now. 
it's hard to describe because as an engineer, we often have the words that, you know, are very, very specific and, (laughs) you know, very measured. And this goes more to an energetic level. The opening happened when I removed myself from this, the space that I was constantly in, right? In these, the walls of development, if you will, which is a safe space. It's a great place. It's a creative space, but it's also a place that is pretty hard to tap into the heart. It's pretty hard to tap into the energy that is being felt in the body. And so me stepping out of that and being in nature in the rawest form, I mean, I'm literally on a safari and I'm connecting with animals. I'm observing animals. I'm in Africa. I think it just created this opening for me to actually feel energetically this opportunity and also just witnessing these animals that also were trying to do their best to survive and trying, you know, how they related to one another and how they had respect for one another. To me, that was an invitation to see how we could actually create such a thing with humans. And then things in my world just started to dissolve and shift such that the pathway was just opening up. Once I started to be able to tune in to my body and my heart more, it was like, okay, this no longer resonates with me. And I need to honor that. And I'm not sure what that next thing is, but it's not this, but I need to pull myself out of this space in order to create the opening for this other thing to come in. And that's scary. That was extremely scary because my life to that point was really about knowing what was going to happen. It was very mental. It was very cerebral. It's like, okay, I'm going to this job. I'm going to deliver these things, this product. I'm going to live in this space. I'm going to go play this sport and you know, have my routine and all of that. And then I'm saying, I am not sure, but I know I'm going in that direction and I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know. There's, there's no job at the end of it. There's no schedule at the end of it. There's no known outcome. I am just going to follow it and, and let go of something familiar and go into something unfamiliar. And that it was very, very scary, but it was also just, I could not, not do it anymore. It was self-abandonment, but I also felt like I was also not doing good service to those around me. This shift from cerebral sort of logic defined pathway to emotion, energy, and tapping into being more in tune with your body, I think is is such a powerful shift. And I'm so excited to dive in deeper into that that specifically. But I, w- I want to kind of give it a, a note to folks listening in that some of these perspectives may be different than where you're, where you're living at right now. You may be kind of this person where you're like cerebrally mapped out or rationally mapped out, you know, what you're trying to do in your organization. And I think the intention for our conversation together, Tamarian, is to help people try on some of these different ways of thinking and ways of being. So I'm excited to dive deeper into that. But I just want to encourage folks listening in to like, if this is new or different to you to think about energy, emotion and tapping into those things as like, you know, facilitating a career decision, this is the perfect conversation to try that on a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit more about what you're doing with global relational healing. This is sort of my my first introduction into into this work. I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit more, like what is global relational healing and what has that looked like so far for you and in sort of your exploration in the space? It's this is a term that I have coined. It's a term that that has resonated with me. So it's not something that's mainstream or that others are using right now. And essentially, it starts with self. It starts with what is my relationship with myself? What is my relationship with Tamarian? How do I talk to myself? How do I listen to myself? How do I support myself? How do I deal with the internal conflicts that I have? And being aware of that in such a way that I can still love myself wholly, if you will, but also knowing that however I treat myself is going to be how I treat others and how I 
engage with others. And that is really important if I am thinking about how I want to contribute to healing. We as a species, as a human species, to me, we are at an existential pivot right now where we could easily continue down a path that is really destructive to our home, earth, and to each other. It's extremely important for us to really start to engage in how do we help each other heal a lot of these broken um, relationships that are from centuries and centuries of intentional and unintentional harm in order to create the space for us to be able to have a more collaborative, peaceful, motivating sort of future. When I think about global relational healing, I'm thinking from the source of self and that relationship and how it propagates out to other relationships, be it with our partnerships, our colleagues that work, to nations, to countries. Those are all, all stem from how we operate within ourselves. Um, and that's why I encompass it all because I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for us to really come together in ways that will help us really pivot into a more productive, collaborative, peaceful sort of society across the planet. I really think what you shared about the focus on self and the self-talk and the awareness of how you handle internal conflict and how you treat yourself as how you treat others is such a powerful frame to, to start with. I'd love to know a little bit more like some of the some of my self-talk who could probably be very self-critical of like, oh, what you did there was not good enough or, um, you know, all of those sort of voices that come up when you're trying to do challenging things. How do you build awareness around your own internal self-talk or how do you build awareness around like how you handle or resolve your own internal conflict? What does that look like for you? There's so many things that it's, a, it's a, I'm learning. I'm constantly learning. And for me, it's been a lot of laughter. Um, I actually give myself permission to laugh at and with myself. Like, that is funny, T. That, I call myself <laughs> T. But it's being okay with those. Because recognizing that I'm going to have all kinds of different thoughts. And I can act on them and I cannot act on them. And I have a choice. And also accepting that that's all a part of myself. You know, I had a conversation with a friend just about a week ago, wonderful young man who I just adore. And he said, I just can't seem to find the relationship where the, you know, I'm just, sometimes I just don't think I'm lovable. And I said, you know, I know that he's saying this because it's also something he's saying in his head. He's saying it to himself. And I know this because I know what I say to Tamarian. And so, you know, I asked him, I said, well, I love you. Can you accept that? And he paused. He said, well, yeah, maybe. And I said, well, how about this? Can you say I love you to yourself in the mirror? And he said, I will try that out. He came to me later and he said, no, it's really difficult. And uh, I said, well, that's maybe where you want to start. And so for me, it took me a while to get to that point, but it's a practice. It's a daily practice, actually, to sit and be able to look in the mirror and say, I love you to Marion, and I love everything about you. And I love all the thoughts that you have. And I know that some of them aren't serving you well. And so that to me sets the framework of me being able to accept these thoughts. And then if I can accept the thought and say, okay, but that's not my reality. That's not the path I choose. That's not what I'm going to act on it dissipates a bit. It lessens. And I can give more voice to this is what feels good. This this is what the path I do want to take. And yeah, it's just a little scary. And yeah, it's a little unnerving. It's unfamiliar. It's all those things. But that's the path I would rather choose. And so it requires a high level of awareness and a willingness to face it. And sometimes I can live in the distract world of distraction and be looking outward more than inward. But that to me is the really big key in being able to make those shifts 
I love my self-critic. I love her. And I think that I have a built a relationship with her uh, to see what can, what is it that you are trying to protect me from? What is it that has happened? And then comes the relational healing piece, right? You start to say, oh, these are things that have happened that causes this to come forward. Okay. And I don't need to feed you anymore. I hear you. Thank you. And here's the thing that I really do want to focus on. The awareness is, is absolutely critical and the self-love is really important. And that's where the healing can come forward. That is such a powerful question to introduce, just to inquire, like, what is my self-critic trying to protect me from? I love that. And then introducing sort of the lightness of, of laughing at yourself. I think it's kind of absurd that like we as human beings have self-talk at all, that like there is a conversation going in our head that nobody can perceive. And like, I think that's amazing. I wanted to talk about looking inward versus outward because I think you're so right. Like there are so many things that we can be distracted by, whether that is, you know, as simple as like the social media scroll. For me, I even find like simple things like I just will devour a newsletter versus like an email newsletter versus tune in to what am I feeling and how am I doing or what's the narrative? Like what's the self-talk going on? Do you have any thoughts, ideas or practices on, on how to help cultivate a practice that helps you kind of avoid distractions and focus more inward? I love this question because it really causes me to reflect on what's been a key shift for me over this last year plus that I've been traveling. When I was working, daily work of product development, there was little space to kind of pause. There was always something to do. And then if, you know, if I wasn't working on the product, then I'm trying to do something related to making the product better or making, helping my teams be better. And creating that space was fairly difficult. I had to step away, like give space to my day to day to be able to have something happen and then sit with it, have you know something, experience something and then check in with myself. When I was able to do that when I was working, it really required a lot of intentionality about setting aside time to be quiet to actually notice when I'm fidgety or notice when I'm occupying time and say no this is I'm squaring off time, 15 minutes to actually feel what just happened and observe it in my body. It was much easier when I stepped out of the world than when I was in it. It's more a part of my rhythm now. You know, it's like, oh, I know there is something coming up for me right now that's causing me to be a lot more busy. Like I'm just going from task to task to task to task. Whereas have I sat down and actually physically felt what I am experiencing based on these last five incidents? That has been a real gift in helping me tune more into being intuitively led on decisions, on actions, which I think is extremely powerful when, especially um, when working on a day-to-day basis, because it's it's easy to just think logic. It's a great tool. Our brain is a very, very wonderful tool, but to have a whole more holistic approach requires us to be able to tap into that physical realm that in our bodies to be able to guide us. And that requires setting aside space for silence. And that's where meditation is very helpful, which has been a practice that, you know, I've integrated in my life uh, on a daily, sometimes several times a day basis, which creates that emptiness where the feelings, um, the energy can come in. In your day-to-day, because I think about like physical environments like can be conducive to certain patterns. You can develop associations to your physical environment. So I think about for folks working remote, they have, you know, their office and they have a certain association with that environment. They probably have a certain relationships with other rooms in their in their houses or apartments that they're living in. Would you recommend like to break the the pattern and help create that space to like get out of that physical environment that like you have those associations with to like help kind of create that space? Yeah, I think it's that's a great point, Patrick. I think for me, I had a space when I 
think back when I was working, I had my apartment. I had a space where which was with my desk, my screen, my monitor, and my laptop, and my little file cabinet, and all the things that created my workspace. And then th- literally three feet away was my sanctuary. It was a recliner chair that had, you know, you could rock in and a lamp and a nice plant uh, right next to it. That was this create this serene space. And then and I could actually watch the sunset from that seat. It was amazing how much that little distance created a very different vibration and also helped me easily access it anytime during the day. During COVID, I divided my house into like five or six different zones. I love that. That's such a great idea. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, it was like, okay, everything was a zone. There's the things that this particular activity does not happen in this only sleep happens in this zone. There's no laptop. There's no electronics. There's no electricity in the bedroom, no gadgets nothing. That is an underutilized microspace. That is expert, <laughs> expert level segmentation. I love that. Yeah. It's like no, no space undefined. Everything had a purpose. It didn't matter how big or small the space was. It had its purpose and its boundaries. It's a really good call out, Patrick, about being able to physically get into. And it was, for me, it was, it was not only sitting in that space, but also going outside. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I had a dog. My perspective really shifted when I was outside with my dog and, and her world was whatever was when it was in front of her. And I'm like, oh yes, thank you, teacher. that's so great patrick here with some exciting news we now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world yes you heard that right there are 10 local communities in cities all over the world these groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect to share insights and tackle critical challenges in the job to get involved go to elc.community Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. So we've talked a lot about, you know, building a relationship with your inner critic and building more awareness around your self-talk and and how you navigate the inner conflict. Um, I'd love to dive into like, how do you think the concept of relational healing, global relational healing can inform the role of engineering leaders within the the tech industry? So folks listening in who are like, okay, like, yeah, all of these things we're talking about, about like helping support my inner critic, I can immediately find valuable because we're talking about self. So moving more to like the engineering leadership relationship, how does relational healing inform the engineering leaders in our community? You know, this is something I've been thinking a, a lot about over at least these this last year plus. We really, I think, have to be aware of what is the impact of the product that we're building on our communities beyond the typical metrics that we use to say that we're being successful. So, for example, we talk a lot about success being financial, right? It's a profit. How are we profiting? And that also hinges upon everything from our engagement metrics, the visits, the retention, you know, the click-through rate, whatever your product is, what is it that you're measuring to say that you're building and retaining a community of people and you're growing your business? We're all familiar with that. And I think what I'm inviting us to do as engineering leaders across our industry is to shift the currency of success and to bring in um, an entirely different currency. And I call it the healing profit, right? H-E-A-L-I-N-G, healing profit. What is manifesting in the community through that product? Are there healing opportunities happening inside of your product? And that requires a shift in thinking about success. It's well beyond 
we have an audience using our product. It's now how is that manifesting in the relationships between people that are using the product or not using the product? And how can we contribute to healing, recognizing that, A, do you agree that I don't know anyone on the planet. I haven't met the person who has not had some type of an injury or harm or trauma that they have not experienced that. Are there ways that we are somehow creating the opportunity for healing to happen through the product? And what kind of metrics could we bring to the table? What kind of additional metrics? Because I don't think that we would be willing to completely dismiss uh, financial profit. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that we have to add and shift the currency of success in order to be able to foster this uh, movement that I think technologists, engineering leaders are very, very much so and are being called to do at this time. It's a wonderful time to be in this space, although I know that we're in an economic crisis, but technology is in the DNA, the fabric of humanity. And if there is a way for us to heal and grow into a much brighter future, technology is a magnificent tool that we are in an incredible position to do. I think it's a really a really powerful invitation thinking about the you know healing profit and going beyond the intent of your product and thinking about what how are you manifesting healing opportunities would you be able to to share a little bit more about what does that possibly look like within different like a different technology company or product? And I'm going to share kind of one, one thing, and this is more of a, a gut check to see if I'm following correctly. We had a, a someone on um, their founder of a company. They were talking about like this design principle of primitives, and they were building like everything around a primitive. And what they were talking about is like the point of a primitive is to help people make thinking easy. They were talking about how a product is ultimately helping people express themselves in some way. So he was giving some examples of like. Instagram was a way to make people feel like they were a great photographer. And then when I was thinking about some of the work that you were doing at Snap with the camera overhaul and making that more compatible with darker skin tones as a way to help folks with darker skin tones like feel like they are a better photographer and to better express themselves, have the tools that better match and, and allow them to express themselves. So I'm just trying to follow like, is, is that kind of an example that tracks like building products that sort of help support that healing or, or like helping people express themselves or take on different identities? Am I following this the right way? It's a part of it. Let me let me give you an example because I mm-hmm. think the inclusive camera is definitely a, a great example. This is a very public project that Snap has uh, embarked on. A, a young black engineer by the name of Bertrand Sampru invited the company to improve the camera experience. And there's a long history of the camera technology not really taking into account darker skin tones. It's this is still embedded in technology today. It continues to be a, a challenge. But this invitation, because Snap is a, is a camera company, it was a, a tremendous opportunity to improve this particular experience. And yes, we will need to partner up and down the stack to make sure that this is, is actually delivering what we want it to. But here's the opportunity to improve an experience for groups of people who have otherwise been in the shadow. And that's quite literally mm-hmm. because that's what oftentimes what was captured is the darker skin tone is it's literally just black, just a shadow image. The healing opportunity in this is that imagine these people uh, with darker skin tones finally being seen, finally being brought to the front, being their entire identity and their skin tone um, their shape, all of those elements are now being recognized and being pulled into clear view just as much as anyone else is now this recognition and acceptance of a, a way of doing a better job, righting a wrong, right? That 
invitation that Bertrand put out has been a longstanding invitation. It was just something that was just at a time that the company could get behind it and say, we have to do something about this. And it's no longer okay for us to say it's just somebody else's problem. There's so many dimensions on how that manifests in the community to say, well, now they're taking it seriously. Now we can start to develop some trust depending on how much they listen and how much they act on what they hear. And can we continue to build this trust and know that there's iteration and then embedded in that whole process is patience, knowing that there's a long history of being slighted and people are angry and upset and frustrated and don't trust. Right. Don't think that there's a real commitment to changing it. But imagine staying in that space with groups of people and saying, no, we're committed to making this better. We know that this has been an injury to groups of people for centuries on end. We can do better. And the healing that happens, not only because there's this this iterative process going, but beyond that, is there trust building? Is there healing happening? I'm being seen. I'm being heard because I'm giving you my uh, feedback and you're responding to it. That's what I'm talking about, the healing prophet. Can you capture this? Can you capture this trust element going higher? Can you capture this healing that's happening where people are feeling like, whoa, I've never seen myself like this before. And there's a real commitment to get this right. There's an apology that's happening, but it's an active apology and it's sustainable because it's continuing on. It's not, we're going to fix it now, but if it goes back to the way it was, we had it right for a minute and that's it. No, there's a continuation of, no, I'm committed to getting this right long-term. So that's a really good example of what I mean about going beyond it's not, can we get more people using the camera? You know, I mean, that's absolutely a part of their success metrics, but I'm adding that what's happening in the community in terms of trust and healing and getting to a better place of us seeing one another and being able to collaborate with one another. Absolutely. Thank you for, for helping walk through how, how this could look like within a product lens and context. I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the the strategies or tools that people might be able to use within their their daily lives, whether at home or at work, within the the realm of relational healing. Are there any other practices or habits or principles that folks can incorporate relational healing within their teams or their organizations? This is such a new concept that I think first we just really have to be aligned. Like, do we agree? that there's a need for healing, getting on that same page and then mm-hmm. setting the intention. If we if we agree that there's healing that needs to happen, I think we would be surprised that there may be disagreement. We haven't done anything wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with our product. We're focused on this thing. We, we just want to produce this product that helps people build um, more software or what have you. So we're not doing any harm. And I think you have to be willing to go beyond that layer of a question and say, do we agree that there is an opportunity for us to help people heal. Like there's healing that needs to happen. And then from there, setting the intention on whatever we build, we need to uh, commit that we're actually invested in healing through our product. To give an example, there's a lot of work happening, collective trauma sort of healing practices, an organization called Pocket Project. They use specifically, you know, Zoom to connect with people all over the world that are engaged in healing practices, making sure that people can connect, see each other, connect on an energetic level, meditate together, witness each other's touching trauma, creating space for the expression of how it manifests in their bodies, seeing collectively how this shift can happen towards healing. 
So it's not just about if you have an intention on how people use your product, but it is understanding that people may use it in different ways than you intended. And that's okay, being open to that, because those may be inlets into healing that you didn't even know was possible. But ha- you have to be able to listen to what pe- how people are using it and observing that with that intention of, am I contributing to this space? When you set the intention, I think you have to look at your values within the company. And then there's written values, there's spoken values, and then there are observed values and how are they playing out? Are they actually, as you work together, are those values coming through? As you do people reviews, are those coming through? How are your values integrated into your day-to-day work and into the product? And that needs to also include how does the healing element fit into that? Does it fit into that? Um, Is there an acknowledgement of it? From there, then you have the principles. What are those principles that you will stand by as you develop the product? And then, of course, from there is the mechanisms that really start to um, help you sort of automatically stay in your lane, stay in that commitment. And again, it comes back to being clear about, do you agree that there's an opportunity to affect healing um, across different people, depending on the relationships that you're, you're fostering. But there's always, I think, an opportunity for a healing element to happen. The primary question of, is there agreement that healing needs to happen? I think it's such a powerful place to start to set a level ground of like an intention of, do we have this shared intention to create healing in the first place? I think that's really powerful. I have a follow-up question about values. You, you talked about the written values and then they're sort of like the operating values of like what you observe. I think oftentimes like where there can be dissonance within an organization is when you see somebody say one thing, but then they do another. Like for me, I know like I get a huge amount of like personal pain when like there is you know somebody who says like, here are written values is what we believe and then they operate totally differently. How would you approach resolving that dissonance between somebody's observed values and like what they say they want to want to stand for? For me, like this seems kind of tricky and talking about like values and what you say and what you do don't match. I get like a lump like in my throat of like, how do I address that? What are your thoughts there? How do you approach that? I think it's an ongoing struggle that I've had and that you've witnessed others, you know, having where it's just, when do I step up and say this is incongruent with what we're talking about? And when I stepped into that position as the inclusion engineering director, that became my role, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It was it was something that I really had to take a stand on a continuous basis saying, oh, no, no, these are our values. These are our principles. We're falling away from that. We need to realign. And either we're going to change our values or we're going to shift so it's one thing to be put in a position where I'm expected to be that voice. I'm expected to be the person that's bringing mm-hmm. up and upholding our values. It's another thing to be in the system that is, you know, operating under these values and principles. That's where it becomes clear about what's your personal values. And is this a space that I'm actually self-abandoning myself? Am I pushing myself back in order to just fit in or for fear or what have you? And that's another telltale sign for me if I don't feel that I can bring something up. Now, fear is okay, you know, if you're not into conflict and you kind of don't want to rock the boat, but you need to if you, you know it's necessary. That's normal. But if there's just a real outright fear because you've seen people get <laughs> slammed or otherwise unappreciated for bringing up a, a you know, challenging something, then that goes back to what are your values? Are they open to being challenged in that way? Um, it's a really good sign to let you know if you're in a place that is honoring and is in alignment with your values because speaking up is also a test to say, well, 
if we're really about this, then we want others to know, to show us, to be the mirror, to say, uh-uh, wait, we're, we're going off track here. But if that is not welcome, then that's where I think you have to make a decision. You start to make a decision on, is this an isolated case? Is this a situation? Is this an individual? Is it something that means I'm not in alignment? What we are saying may not be what's actually happening. And I am not going to be in a good place to thrive, to bring my A game, to to really go to take it to the next level. And so there's where you have to make those critical decisions. But if the environment is such that they foster that invitation to bring forward, you know, a disalignment with values, then it's like, okay, yeah, I'm nervous about this, but this doesn't match. We're falling off track here. We all want to get to the same place. We all wanted to do an outstanding job. Let's work together to get this to course correct. I think if we isolate people and say, it's you that have the wrong idea and you said the wrong thing, then it becomes more of defense. But if we get in it together and say, ah, we're assuming we're all aligned with our values, we're shifting off of that we're going out of alignment with that. Let's see how we can still meet this goal, but let's be true to our values. That's to me the best way to bring that up. And that's what I call honoring self as opposed to sort of abandoning self. I just wanted to to share my appreciation for how you communicate to Marion. Like you give so much space for people to have a human experience. And so like, I think you are an incredibly precise, powerful and compassionate communicator. So I'm thinking about like pointing to here's, here's where things don't match. Like the language is so removed from like judgment. The way that you communicate and introduce those things is, is so powerful. It's so precise. To me, I can immediately see like how I choose to communicate those things can create a better collective outcome, but also a more restored relationship with that person just by choosing to, to communicate that way. And to come more importantly, to come from that place of, of wanting to restore that relationship. Yeah, that's it's all about the intention behind it and the faith and the trust in it. You had mentioned this intention to move to thriving. I was wondering if you had one active way somebody can help them shift closer to a, a mode or operating mode of thriving. There's this distinction between surviving mode and, and thriving mode. You know, over the course of my career, I've been learning a lot about when I'm in survival mode. And it's, it comes down to the motivation behind me doing what I'm doing. Am I doing it because I feel that I need to? I don't have other options versus I want to. I am enjoying this. This is fulfilling for me. This is, and that, that there's where that body aspect of who we are comes in because there's this intuitive, um, emotional sort of physical response to what we're doing. And so if I understand what is the motivation behind what I'm doing, that helps to sort of distinguish between am I in survival mode or in uh, thriving mode. And then I think there needs to be a lot of clarity and values, like your personal values. They evolve over time, they change. And it just depends on where you are in your life. You know, I remember a time when how I physically looked was really important to me because I felt like that had a, had something to do with, you know, how people would treat me. It became, you know, what am I actually working on? Is this something that I actually like? Um, and then it became, who are the people I'm working with? Do I have a great relationship with them? And so my values you have know, changed over time. And I had to be, you know, just becoming very crystal clear about those values and writing them down are really, really important to be able to seat yourself into a thriving situation. One other piece that I found really helpful is talking to people I love and trust and who I feel like will tell me, they will call me out, they will reflect what they see in me. If I ask them, what do you see that it's most important to me at this time? It's very interesting to hear what other people <laughs> that are close mm. to me see and observe because they're mirrors. People are in our lives. They are reflections of who we are. We can only see 
and others what exists within ourselves. And so when people are literally um, invested in my well-being and are willing to share, well, this seems to be really important to you and it may be a blind spot for me, that's really a powerful thing for me to recognize and integrate into what's important and to create the environment of being in a thriving mode. And also the belief system is important because if I believe that I don't deserve to be thriving, then I'm going to buy into that. And that's really important. I believe that I absolutely deserve, 100% I'm capable of thriving in my work environment, thriving in whatever I'm doing. And I don't have to settle. I don't have to be doing it because I have to or should be or need to. There may be some situations that it needs to be temporary, but I know what thriving feels like for me. And I really want to recreate those environments and spaces based on my values at the time so that I am in thriving mode and bring in my A game because why else are we here? Do you have one thing that you might help to help that person shift their belief there? I call it heart-based living versus OPE living. And OPE is another Tamarianism called other people's expectations. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> so <laughs> not to be confused with another song, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, that's where my head went, but I was like, other people's expectations. I know, I know, no, OPE. If I'm really living when I'm aligned with my heart, it doesn't mean that those two need to be mutually exclusive, but sometimes they really are drastically different. And there's a fear of actually following heart because we don't want to disappoint people. And that requires being really honest with self and being tuned with self. The heart-based living really does help one shift. Like I have gifts to offer this world. I have gifts. I believe it's a tragedy if I don't bring those gifts. I'm meant to be here to bring my gifts. That's why I'm here on the planet. Why would I suspend that? Why would I prevent myself from doing that? And if I believe that I have gifts to offer, then that to me means that I have to be in a situation, I have to be in an environment where those can be expressed. That's where that distinction between heart-based and other people and being able to distinguish between that, because if you're heart-based, then you are following your path. And that path will create organically an environment where you will thrive. That was amazing. Thank you. Tamarian, I have three quick rapid fire questions to close us off if you are ready. Yes, I'm ready. What are you reading or listening to right now? I am reading two books. One is called Profit Without Oppression by Kim Creighton. And then I think the other one is called The Silent Patient, which a friend of mine here in London suggested I read. I will say the best book that I read in 2022, that for me was affirmation bias, 100%, I will claim it, was called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Berkman. It was just a phenomenal read that really, because I already believe in humanity, I believe in us, I love us. I, I think that we have a wonderful, rich, rich, rich future that we're capable of. This book really, really amplified that possibility and increased my love of humanity. Perfect. I am going to check that one out. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Especially in this last year, mapping tools have been really effective as I've been traveling. <laughs> so, But I've been using uh, Google Maps. But the other thing is I had a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience meeting someone in Mexico. Uh, it was another solo traveler. We didn't speak each other's language at all. She spoke Spanish. I know a little bit, but not enough to have a full conversation. We ended up spending the afternoon together, just sort of signing each other. But then, you know, I brought out a translator 
you know, on my phone. And we literally, I mean, we spent about six hours together, not speaking each other's language, like live, but just passing a phone and just, you know, and I learned so much about her. She learned a lot about me. We're still in touch. And that was eight months ago. I think it's such a powerful tool that got us to connect at a deeper level. And we're still cheerleaders in each other's lives. That is such a, like a profoundly beautiful human moment and like the power of like technology enabling connection. (laughs) I love that. What's a trend that you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? I mentioned this a little earlier. Um, the Pocket Project is something that I've been watching a bit of. It's an organization that's uh, really fully committed to trauma-informed leadership as well as collective trauma healing, but it's called thepocketproject.org. Perfect. And is there a quote you want to leave us with to close off our conversation, a quote or a mantra that you live by that's been resonating with you? Uh, there's two. One is, this is my, my mother passed away in 2020. And one of the things I asked her was, what, what does she want for me to do in my life uh, going forward? What would she want for me? And she looked at me and grabbed my hand and said, teach people how to treat you. And that was such a powerful, powerful invitation for me. But it was just making sure not to assume that people want to be treated a certain way and how I want to be treated that assume that people may not know. They just may be going on what they think is what I would want. But if I think of it as let me, oh, let me show you, let me tell you, that's a much better place to come from than being offended. It's like, oh, you don't know. Let me tell you. And so that's one. But the other one is what I call, am I living inside out or outside in? And this really means, am I looking out in the world and saying, oh, that's the thing I need to do. And that's the thing I need to do. And that's like, we sometimes we look at there's a job or position or a role that we think we want to go seek. And am I looking, am I scanning out here to see where should I go? Or Am I actually looking inside of myself to see what's tugging at me, to see what is organically coming from me? And the best way that I could describe this is if I think about what am I doing when I'm not doing what I have to be doing? If I'm in this space of, oh, I got to do this and this and this, what am I doing when I'm not doing what I have to be doing? And what are those things that really give me life that I just, just love doing? And if I can describe that, and not attach titles or names or roles to it, but just describe that and say, I want that to be more of what I'm doing in my life. It creates an opening for possibilities that may not be in these particular roles and titles that we're looking at outside of us. And so I would rather be living inside out than outside in, because that to me is where, again, I will attract the things that cause the thriving, attract the things that cause the delight, attract the things that cause the curiosity to stay at a high level and attract the things that make me be the best person I can be in whatever I'm doing. That, that is an incredible invitation and call to action for folks as we you know, wrap up our conversation to ask those questions and to, to think about that. And so just reflecting on everything we've talked about so far from the intention to talk about you know, heart and energy opening up, tapping into your emotion. I just want to say thank you to Marion for the stories that you shared and just the accessibility that you've helped create with some of these things that you know, for most of us living in maybe a more cerebral sort of space and, and logical space, thank you for helping open up uh, in a really accessible way to help people 
people tap into emotion and relationships and to be a participant in helping create healing. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for, for everything. Thank you, Patrick. This has been amazing. And thanks again for the invitation. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.